Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and uh, become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by the support of our listeners. Thanks so much for your support. Uh, and uh, I'd like to thank uh, Tracy and uh, James, Deborah, and Thomas. Thank you uh, so much for your support. We're going to bring you a new series, and it's another one of those very obscure uh, programs. Uh, John Dunning's Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio is uh, chock full of information on hundreds of old-time radio programs. It's 850 pages long and does not have a, a single word on this particular show, The Cases of Mr. Ace. Uh, in fact, the only thing I was able to find on uh, Cases of Mr. Ace was doing a search on uh, Google Books, and they have uh, old uh, issues of Billboard magazine. And there were several advertising uh, cases of Mr. Ace. It was a syndicated show, and it, they were offering it to radio stations, just like The Adventures of Frank Race, which I just noticed after recording yesterday. We have Race and then Ace. But uh, it's produced by Paragon Radio Productions, a somewhat obscure company. And uh, that is the only uh, reference. Uh, the other uh claim to fame uh, was how uh, cases of of Mr. Ace was actually turned into one of television's first uh, private uh, detective series. And uh, it was changed under the name Cases of Eddie Drake. However, uh, it's, it's the same basic com uh, uh concept. The star of the program is George Raft, who was a great leading man, particularly from the 1930s. Uh, and he became really uh, well-known for gangster films. And he kind of ran into decline in the early 40s. So at this point, he's, his uh, star is fading a bit. Uh, this series uh, was produced in 1947. Uh, things kind of went downhill when he turned down the role in a film called The Maltese Falcon. Um, uh, partially because he didn't know that uh, hadn't been directed by the director and partially because there had already been a version made of The Maltese Falcon. But still, the producers of, case, of Cases of Mr. Ace thought that uh, he still might be a big draw, as were other uh, actors of the era. 
Alan Ladd, of course, in Box 13, which was one of the first uh, programs we saw, had a similar arrangement. This one is less well-remembered, but uh, still worth a listen. We have two episodes uh, of this series, so let's go ahead and take a listen to this one. I should say that dates on these series are very hard, so I'm not going to put a date on this one. This appears to be either a pilot or the first episode of the series, cannot tell which. Uh, but this episode, produced in 1947, is key to a booby trap. The Cases of Mr. Ace, starring George Rapp. Yes? Uh, my name's Eddie Ace. Oh, yes, you're the private detective. Yes. There was a message at my office from a Dr. Gale. Asked me to come right over here. Is he in? I am Dr. Gale. Come in. Please. Hmm. So, you're Dr. Gale. (laughs) Shouldn't I be? I didn't expect you to be a woman. What can I do for you? I want to retain you to talk to me. To, To talk to you? You'll be amply repaid for your time. You don't have to bribe me. All you have to do is tell me what I'm to talk to you about. Your experiences? Why? You see, I'm a psychoanalyst, Mr. Ace. I'm planning a book dealing with criminal psychology. And I intend to do something different. And there, I need your help. I want the material fresh and unbiased, so to speak. From the point of view of a private detective. Of, more specifically, an Eddie Ace. You make me feel very important. Is that a trick of a psychoanalyst? No. That's a trick of a woman. What do you say, Mr. Ray? All you want me to do is to come here whenever I'm finished a case and tell you about it. Mm-hmm. The strange people you meet. What they said, how they reacted, what they were after. I guess you know what you're after, Dr. Gale. All right. When do we begin? I'm listening, Mr. Ace. I'm listening. The Cases of Mr. Ace, starring George Raft, and produced and directed by Jason James. sure my typewriter won't disturb you, Mr. Ace. I don't think the typewriter would bother me, but I'm not so sure about the typist. When you arrived, you said you didn't expect me to be a woman. You were right. I'm a psychoanalyst. Shall we begin, Mr. Ace? Hmm. I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, it, it all started with a killing that was no business of mine. The murder of Frederick Miller... You know, the corporation lawyer. His body had been found in his apartment. Three bullets in it. As I say, it was no business of mine until I arrived at my office over on 6th Avenue in the morning after the killing. A man was waiting to see me. He was very small, very dark, very smooth. He smiled and showed me all his teeth. He had a lot of them. I opened my door, and he followed me in. 
Ah, merci, monsieur. Sit down. You're French. Ah, you are very observant, monsieur. What can I do for you? Uh, permit me. My name, monsieur, is Foray. Pierre Foray. Uh, I have selected you to perform for me a very important service. Oui, a service. Such as... Uh, uh, oui, oui, oui. Now we come to it. Uh, last night, monsieur, I performed a most impulsive act. I killed a man. I see. You're a big boy now. You must learn to control yourself. Ah, uh, you are right. Uh, but uh, that is how I am. I killed him, and I do not feel regret. I feel only pleasure when I look into my eyes and see him die again and again. Mm, that's better than a double feature. I had warned this man, monsieur. Twice I had warned him to stay away from Sally, my wife. He would not. So I killed him. It is simple. You make it sound reasonable. Who is the lucky lover? A pig named Miller. It is in all the papers. Oh, such a fuss. All for one pig named Miller. Mm. Frederick Miller, eh? Uh, oui. Cochon. What are your plans? Uh, that is why I have come to you, monsieur. I am now on my way to the city hall of justice. Giving yourself up? Oui, but it is not serious. When I explain to the man in charge of the justice why I killed this Miller, uh, he will let me go. Yes, yeah, sure, sure. He's cute that way, uh... Well, uh, why did you come to see me? To all for me, two things, monsieur. One, five hundred dollars. And uh, two... This little key. Ooh, this, uh, this key, eh? Oui. Oui. You will hold it for me until after the man in charge of the justice has heard my case. When I return, you will give it to me. Suppose you don't return. Oh, it is certain. How do I know? Because I am a Frenchman. But, but I say, if by some silly mistake I am detained, then you will give it to my lawyer. But only if I am detained by what you call a conviction of guilty. Why not give it to your lawyer now, yourself? He still remains to be selected. And I do not wish to surrender myself to the justice dispenser with the key on my person. Mm, I see. And this 500. What do I do with it? That? You keep it, monsieur. For your uh, trouble. <laughs> left and I sat fingering the 500 and the key. It's a small brass key. The kind you use on your trunk. No marks on it except the number. 427. I had Foray doped as a nut. Anyway, Foray uh, confessed to the killing of Miller. And the final editions told how Timothy Hogan, the wild Irish criminal lawyer, came forward with an officer to defend the prisoner. The next morning, Hogan came to my office. I had a hunch he would. And as sure as I'm sitting here in your office, Mr. Ace, I'm certain that Pierre Foray did not kill Miller. He confessed. Confessed? Ha! So there you have a darling confession. A Frenchman, a crime of passion, and he gives himself up. Oh, no, not Foray. Not after talking to the man. And what's your best guess? Think, man, think. Can't you see it? Maybe I'm looking in the wrong direction. And that you are. Foray is covering up for someone, someone he loved. His wife? Aha, uh -huh. that's the thought, Mr. Ace. That's precisely the thought. And that's why the case attracted me. There's uh, no money in it. But it's sentimental and violent. And uh, <clears throat> I'm Irish. Well, could be. But if he's covering up for his wife, how are you going to get him to sing? I must. 
If I can get him to recant, a confession from his wife, why, I could get her an acquittal with a twist of the wrist. Good heavens, man, look at the elements. Self-sacrificing husband, outraged and betrayed wife. She comes forth at the last minute. Why, it's better than Mother McCree. I'll have the jury swimming in their own tears. I like your script. How are you going to get it on the stage? Aha, that's, sir, that is the problem. And there I need your help. I know this much. Yesterday, before he gave himself up, Foray came to you. What did he tell you? Nothing. He gave you something? Nothing. Oh, I don't think you're telling me the gospel truth, Mr. Hayes. I'm not. Hmm, I see. Very well. I'll try to persuade Foray to give you his permission to talk to me. That's better. But in the meantime, Mr. Reyes, in the meantime, you might try to sound out the wife for me. Very, very discreetly, understand? But sound her out. You hiring me? Yes. Will you see what you can do? I'm practically there now. Yes? Mrs. Foray? Go away. All day you reporters have been I'm driving... I'm a detective. What do you want? Sit down. Say what you want and get out. Do as I say or I'll take you downtown. You don't frighten me a bit. I'm ready. I see what you mean. Okay. I'll level with you, Mrs. Foray. I'm not from the police. I'm a private detective. I'm working for your husband's lawyer on the Miller killing. You knew Miller. Yes. Yes, I knew him. What is that to work on? That rat Pierre killed him. I hope he dies in the chair for it. Pierre says you were seeing Miller. That might save him from the chair. Let him prove that. Just let him prove I ever saw Fred Miller outside of his office on business. When did you see Miller last? None of your business. Get out. Sure. But keep this in mind, Mrs. Foray. Your husband confessed to the murder. But maybe you'd be able to give the jury the impression that he's covering up for someone else. Someone maybe like his ever-loving wife. I said, go on, get out. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, did you ever see this key before? No. Now get out of here. And tell that rat Pierre I'll do my best to get a ringside seat for his execution. I went back to my office, opened my door, and then I saw him. A man was sitting behind my desk. He got to his feet. He didn't introduce himself, but I could tell by the bulge in his right pocket that he had a very good reference. You are Mr. Ace. What do you want? The key, Mr. Ace. What key? Please, Mr. Ace, do not act childish. Give me the key. I'm bigger than you are. But if you force me to use this gun, I shall be liver than you are. The key, please. He pointed a stubby little revolver at my head. I gave him the key. He thanked me politely enough and left. I counted ten, then raced down the hall to the fire exit, slammed down the iron stairs and picked up behind him as he was leaving the building. He went straight to the Times Square station. I went right behind him. He went directly to the lockers. I was right behind him. He inserted a key in the locker number 427, threw the latch, pulled the little door open, and then... It must have been hours later when I opened my eyes. I was still in the station. Near me and around me were maybe a dozen more. 
Cops and interns milled around. But bending over me was Detective Lieutenant Walsh. Feeling better, Ace? Yeah, I... Oh, my head. What happened? Bomb exploded in a locker. Anybody killed? Yeah, the man who opened the booby trap. Blown to bits and uh, three bystanders. You were lucky. You can say that again. All right, I will. You were lucky. And I mean lucky that you didn't open it yourself. I? How could I open it? With the little key you showed Sally Foray. You certainly get around. Where'd you get that key? From Pierre Foray. Oh, Pierre Foray, eh? That's the name. He came to my office. Gave it me to hold. You can ask him. Well, suppose you ask him, Ace. But you'd better get yourself a good spiritualist. Pierre Foray hanged himself in his cell two hours ago. headquarters. He talked to me for two hours. He didn't learn a thing, but I did. Pierre was visiting Selvai Hogan and Mrs. Foray just before he strung himself up. It was Hogan who found his body when he went back to talk to him again. I asked Walsh what he knew about Hogan, and he didn't know much. I left police headquarters and went around the corner to Jenny the bail bond. Jenny had been around New York longer than the city charter and runs the biggest bail bond mill in town. I asked her what she knew about Timothy Hogan. She didn't know much offhand, but promised me a rundown by morning. I said I'd call her and left it at that. Outside, the rain was just beginning to wash the town. A hack pulled up. I opened the door, bent to get in when... The butt of the gun came down across my skull, and that was that. It was the cold water that brought me out of it. I opened my eyes. A ceiling and a chandelier spun around. I closed them again. Leo, douse him again. Ace. Ace, you hear me? Get up. The man said get up and the man meant it. The man was big. Big enough to lift me to my feet with one hand. I tried to open my eyes. There were battleships tied to the lashes, but I made it. Two other mugs flanked me with Mike in front of me. The rug was wet with blood and water. The water and the rug were theirs. The blood was mine. Somebody must have taken a bad working over. I began to figure it must have been me, but I couldn't remember. In fact, I didn't even know who Ace was when Mike barked the name. You hear me, Ace? Give me... Give me a drink of water. Leo, give him a drink. Ah. Better. Ah, you're making a lot of trouble for us, Ace. It ain't necessary. Now, look what you look like. Busted nose, busted lips, busted eyes. You think we like to do things like this? And just look at me old lady's rug. Don't. Don't let it break you up. Just look at yourself. And for what? Tell me. For what? Because you get stubborn. You... You mustn't be impatient. Uh, I'm not very bright. What am I... What am I stubborn about? All we want to know is where is the envelope for A gave you? Michael! How much longer will you 
be? Uh, j- just a few more minutes, Ma. Oh, just look at that rug. I'll have it cleaned. Well, hurry up. The hot cake is getting all burned. All right, Ace. I'm through talking nice. Where's the envelope? Sorry. Didn't give me a... Leo, take it. <coughs> oh. I remember there was the old hack screaming about her furniture. I know I smashed a chair when I went down, and that made me feel pretty good. I felt the water hitting my face again. I got my right eye unstuck. I was on my back in a field up in the Bronx. The rain washed over my bruised face, and that felt fine. But I couldn't stay to enjoy it. I remembered there was a phone call I had to make. And by the time I let myself into my apartment over on 3rd Avenue, the sun was up. I looked into a mirror. I never saw the guy before in my life. But even if he was a stranger, I had to do something for him. I wrapped some ice in a towel, held it over my face, and then I picked up the phone. Jenny's bail bonds. You sleep in that ratty office of yours, Jenny? What? citizens being arrested, you know, day and night, Ace. I got that schmear on holding for you. How does he shape? Well, he was a mouthpiece for the old Ringo mob. Back in Prohibition, you know. Ringo got pushed over, rest his soul. Hogan fronted for the policy boys in Harlem. And finally, he broke away from the heist guys. Went into straight criminal law. Only the very highest types of criminals. Where does he hail from? Why, uh, he's from, uh, says here it says, uh, Timothy Hogan, Washington University, class of 28, X. X? What's that mean? X, it says here, it says. I see, didn't, didn't finish at Washington. No record of any other school. I see. All right, thanks, Jenny. Yeah? Anything else I can do for you? Yeah. Keep a nice fat bail bond warm. I may need it. What? Oh. Well, don't let the face frighten you, Mrs. Foray. I'm just breaking it in for Boris Karloff. What? What happened to you? Mm, what happened to me shouldn't happen to a private detective. But it did. Sit down. We're going to make with a little talk. Look, I'm, I'm in an awful hurry, Mr. Ace. I was just going out. What did you and Hogan tell Pierre in his cell yesterday? Oh, I didn't want to go. That lawyer, Hogan, he insisted. Well, I, I guess I blew my top. I... I told Pierre I was going to tell the jury the truth. That, that Freddie, Freddie Miller begged Pierre to give me a divorce. He wouldn't. Instead, he took money from Fred to, to keep his mouth shut and not make a scandal. And you figure that's why Pierre strung himself up. So there was no chance for him. That's the one thing I regret. He didn't go to the chair. Mm-hmm. You must have had quite a burn for this guy, Miller. When, when I love a man, I love him. I love him. I... You <laughs> kind of... Lost now, eh? I loved him, Eddie. It's going to be awful tough. Freddie was... Freddie... Oh, what's the use? I... I wind up with memories in four walls. The kind of memories you can't forget. Kind of cut your heart out every time you breathe. Come here. What am I going to do, Eddie? How can I forget it? Easy. 
You call me Eddie. Just try calling me Freddy. All right. I'll try it. I'll try it. A little later, I remembered that Sally was just on her way out when I arrived. I asked where she was headed for. She hedged a little, but then I saw the court orders on the desk. She was going down to the First National Bank to open Pierre for a safety deposit box. I went with her. The small vault contained some jewels, an insurance policy, and a bulky package wrapped in brown paper. The jewels are mine. I'll take them with me. Maybe we better see what's in this package. Oh, I can't imagine what it could be. Money. Thousand dollar bills. Must be 50 of them. $50,000? Oh, where did, where did he get all that? Not in the private eye business. In this envelope. I think we'd better open it in the presence of a lawyer. Look, I'm going upstairs to see if anybody's around that looks familiar. Here, take this nickel. Yeah? Call police headquarters. Lieutenant Walsh. Tell them to meet me right now at Timothy Hogan's apartment. This is important for both of us, Angel. So don't trip. I'll wait for you outside. <laughs> I waited. Four minutes later, she joined me. Told me Walsh was starting out. We got to Hogan's apartment first. Well, Mr. Ace, Mrs. Foray, sit down, sit down. Hmm. What happened to your face, Mr. Ace? I ran into an open gun cell in the dark. Oh, really now? Where? I didn't get the address, but it was the home of that mug named Mike you keep on your payroll. I see. What else do you know? Put that heater away, Hogan. Walsh is on his way up. I'll give it to you fast. Frederick Miller, the lawyer used to needle in court. Dug into your background. Found out you weren't a member of the bar. Never finished law school. Why, you aren't even a shyster. And that's why I killed him. Right. But Foray confessed. That was the deal you made with him. Fifty G's if he confessed to the murder of Miller. And you think a man would confess to a murder for any amount of money? You convinced him you'd get him an acquittal. On the unwritten law. But before he agreed, he wanted full protection. This little envelope we got out of his safety deposit box. That's true, Mr. Ace. That's true. I had to give him my signed confession. Just in case anything went wrong. And plenty went wrong. He didn't trust you. You tried to get that confession back. But you'd watch every move he made before he confessed to the police. That's why he came to me. Gave me a key to a booby trap. He figured you tried to get that key from me. Open the booby trap and get your head blown off. But you sent one of your mugs instead. You leave nothing for me to say, yes? Is there anything else you'd like to know before I kill you? Yeah. How did you manage to kill Foray in his cell? That, my friend, that is the trade secret which I cannot divulge. Too bad, Hogan. Right guy like you. I know that Walsh will feel the same way about it. But he's a city cop. Mr. Ace, you are priceless. But you made just one little mistake. You see, Sally here wasn't in love with Miller. She didn't even know him. Sally was and always has been in love with me. That true, Sally? Here's your nickel, Eddie. I didn't make that call to police headquarters. <laughs> so little Sally wasn't three-timing. She was four-timing. You know, Ace, it's remarkable you've stayed alive as long as you have. Can you give me one good reason why I shouldn't kill you? Can 
I skip that question and take the $32? Go home, Sally. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'm sorry, Eddie. Believe me, I am. Go on home and sharpen your stiletto. <gasps> Going somewhere, Mrs. Foray? Look out, Walsh. He'll shoot. Him! Oh, no. Him! Uh, uh, that's a darling break. Tim. Sorry. Did you... Double... No. Did you cough? No. No, I didn't, uh, Tim. Honest, uh, I didn't. Uh, uh, in the dying. It's easier. Tim. Stop wailing, Sally. He can't hear you. He's dead. And I wish he'd killed you. A brilliant man like him shot down like a dog and you stand there. Okay, Walsh. From here on out, it's your party. The confessions in the envelope will give you the score. Sally is right. He was a brilliant man. That's how Timothy Hogan died. Yeah, I called Walsh when I left Sally for a minute at the bank. She could have been held as an accessory to the murder of her husband in the cell. But Walsh never got her down to headquarters. She took a header out of the window. I guess it was better for her like that. Well, that was a gory business, wasn't it? Gory? Oh, I, I thought I'd give you the mild ones first. Mild? Good heavens. Do you mean that this sort of thing goes on with you all the time? Only when business is good. Well, for my sake, then, I hope business improves. Good night, Mr. A. There's, uh, there's something I'd like to say, Dr. Gale. Yes? Well, it's... Uh, never mind. Uh, maybe next time. Or maybe the time after that. You're reading my thoughts, Mark Private. Good night, Dr. Gale. George Raft, as Mr. Ace, will be back in a moment with news of next week's case. But now, a word from our sponsor. Thank you. Next week, I have another appointment with Dr. Gale. I'm going to tell her about a murder that shouldn't have happened, not even to a corpse. And George will all be waiting to hear that. In the assisting cast tonight, you heard Jeanette Nolan, Kathy Lewis, Theodore Von Elts, Leo Cleary, and Stanley Farrar. The music was composed and conducted by Sandy Courage. This is Carlton Cadell speaking and inviting you to listen again to George Raft in the cases of Mr. Ace. Welcome back. Well, kind of a typical private eye uh, drama, uh, but with a unique framing uh, device, uh, talking to the uh, psychiatrist about the case. Uh, kind of towards the end, you know, I hope uh, your business uh, really gets better. Uh, I'm kind of like, okay, uh, do you keep count of all of the uh, deaths in this particular story? Definitely in the hard-boiled uh, pool of detection, and Raff does a decent job here. Uh, the one thing I, I guess that's also worth noting is the supporting cast listed with names like Jeanette Nolan and Kathy Lewis. So 
some of the better radio cast uh, in terms of character actors. Uh, this suggests that even though the production company is listed in New York, uh, the series was pro- and the setting is in New York. Uh, it seems quite plausible that the uh, s- series itself may have been produced in Hollywood, given the Hollywood names in the series. All right, well, we will be back next week with another episode of The Cases of Mr. Ace. Uh, join us uh, tomorrow for Let George Do It. In the meanwhile, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at uh, Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.